Good morning. Nice to see you guys. So if you are one of those people who you hear about money or the word budget and you just naturally shut down, time to wake back up. Already back. For the rest of you guys that love that stuff, thank you so much for being, a, well, to all of you, actually. Thank you so much for being a part of that. Uh, it's something we do once a year, and it's really important. So I'm grateful for you guys. We are in week two of this series called Baseline, where we're looking at the book of Galatians, which we're going to be working through for a, a little bit here. So join us at home. Read through this uh, on your own as well. When Paul, who's the writer of Galatians, starts the book, the very first thing he does, this is amazing, the very first thing he does is he talks about how important the gospel is. And he talks about how there were some people that were trying to add to it. Glenn referred to this last week as gospel plus. Now, because he starts there, we wanted last week to define, here's what the gospel is. Like, here's what we mean when we say that. Because there's, if, you, if I were to go throughout this congregation and just be like, tell me what you think the gospel is. I, I bet you you'd find that over time, I'd get like 31 flavors of perspectives and answers on that. If I start to include every church, every place, it starts to get pretty big. And so we wanted to really narrow that and say, okay, here's what this is. So last week, Glenn talked about the gospel this way. He went to Mark and looked at how did Jesus described it. And in the end, the way we'd summarize it is this, that because of Jesus, right? This word, sorry, the word gospel, Greek word euangelion, just means the good news. Here's what the good news is. Because of Jesus, life and relationship with God is available to you. That's it. It's the simplicity of, of the gospel, because of Jesus, life and relationship with God is available to you. If you're going, wait, what? Go back and listen to last week's talk. I'd love, to, love you to do that. But he talked about how the gospel isn't something that just saves us or that we start with. It's something that we live by. We base our, lives on the, our life on this. And so the way you base your life on this is by you put your faith and trust in the truth that Jesus is with you, right? Moving through you, working around you. And so God is working through you, moving around you because you have his love and favor. There's this ongoing sense of I'm living by this reality that life with God is available, that I'm experiencing that, that I'm trusting Jesus for it, and that that's what this looks like. Now, that's it. I know it sounds really basic. It, it's, the, it's the simple gospel. And now here's the thing. It sounds kind of too simple at times. And so it should be really easy to live out, right? Anything that we look and we're like, that just seems really simple. In theory, it is, but anybody who's ever tried to actually live this thing out, it gets really hard, doesn't it? Because life is wildly uncertain. Anybody who's lived long enough knows that. You probably didn't predict the path that you would be walking on even right now or the story that you'd write for your own life. Life is wildly uncertain. And this idea of moving through our lives while anchoring our full trust in relationship with Jesus Christ, it, it can be an uncertain venture. It's hard to do that at times. And so our tendency is to want to add to this very simple gospel, to want to put things, attach things to it. And what ends up happening is we begin to drift. We begin to become slightly misaligned. Instead of walking down the straight and narrow path of the simple gospel, we, we add to it. The next thing you know, we're kind of five degrees off. Several years ago, when my kids were uh, really little, um, I don't remember what my wife was doing that day. It was just me and my girls though. And I thought, you know what? Let's have a picnic. Let's go to a park and let's have a day together. Let's have some fun. And so we all got into my car. I drove this like Honda Ridgeline truck slash SUV, depending on who you talk to. Uh, and that was my vehicle. That's what I had. We all get in there. And we're going to go to Anita Street Market to get some of the best red chili burritos in Tucson and to get some fresh tortillas. And I'm so excited about it. And we all get in, we're driving, get on the freeway to go down there. And, and as we're going, my kids go, hey, will you put the music that you have on your phone for us? Because I downloaded some like kids' music for them. And I said, sure. So I grab my phone and I go to plug it into the stereo in my car. And as I'm doing that, I don't know if it's because of the Arizona heat or the summers or an old cord, but the cord came apart in my hands. Like the, the end of the jack fell off, plastic pieces started to drop. And I, I let go of the steering wheel. 
Everything I'm about to tell you happens in like a split second, okay? It's really a, a really small amount of time. I let go of the steering wheel to like catch this and to put my phone down. And the moment I do, my kids all start to freak out. My two daughters, backseat, freak out as my car veers hard to the left real quick. And on the left side of us, we're on the freeway, doing about 65 to 70 miles an hour is a large semi, just right even with us. And we're now just veering to go straight into the side of the semi. And I see this and now I freak out. And I try to grab the steering wheel to stop it. And as I do, we get so close to the semi that my rear view, my side rear view mirror hits it and folds into the car next to me. And now my kids are losing their mind. And I didn't overcorrect. And I just gradually steer it back onto the lane. And I'm like, it's okay. And they're yelling, you could have killed us. And everybody's losing their minds. My hands are shaking. Have you been in that moment, you guys, where you get the adrenaline after that? And you're just like, that was a lot, you know? And it's okay. We're fine. We're good. And they're like, no, we are not. Nobody enjoyed the picnic. Like it wasn't great after that. Okay. What's the obvious moral to the story? Okay, so if we were to look at that, we'd say, keep your hands on the steering wheel, pay attention to what you're doing, stop messing with your phone. Like there's a whole host of things we can say to this, right? Those are all good things. We should all probably hear them in the year 2022 here. But there's something more there. See, I loved this vehicle. It was the very first car. You, do you guys remember when, and maybe you haven't had this yet, but when you bought the car you actually wanted versus like the car you could? Like, Every car I'd had up to this point was something that would like just take me from point A to point B and I needed to put like a quart of oil in it once a week. This was the very first car where I was like, I love this vehicle. And I remember when I very first bought this vehicle, I'd get in it and I'd start driving and I'd go, guys, look at this. And I would just let go and the car would go perfectly straight because the alignment was perfect. And I'd be like, look at this. And people would be like, put your hands back on the steering wheel. And I'd say, yeah, I know, but like, look at it. And everybody freak out. But I put my hands back on the steering wheel. Alignment was perfect. It was straight. And then somehow I just kind of thought that's how it was. And over time, here's the deal, and if you own a car, you know this, through everyday driving, just through normal, normal driving, right? All of a sudden what happens is little by little, your alignment starts to move. And the next thing you know, just like my truck, my truck, the moment I let go of the steering wheel would actually veer hard to the left. And I had gotten so used to overcorrecting to the right that I didn't even realize the alignment was bad. Like it just become such pattern behavior, I didn't even think about it anymore until I'm on the freeway about to hit a semi with people I dearly love in the car with me. And all of a sudden it's a very big deal, isn't it? See, we think about this when it comes to cars. You're like, yeah, when you get new tires, when you drive your car long, long enough, you need to reset the alignment, rebalance everything so that the car will go straight. We know that as a principle in the automobile world. But here's the thing that I think we overlook sometimes. The same is true in our everyday life when it comes to our spiritual lives. Just simply living in everyday life over time because of things that happen around you, because of stuff going on within you, because of circumstances, because of culture, because of all kinds of things. Just living an everyday normal life will result in the need to realign our spiritual lives to the center of the gospel here. Back to the simple gospel. Because all of us have a tendency, well, to add to it. Because maybe I was scared of something. Or maybe I felt a little insecure, uncertain, or maybe there's something else happened in culture around me and I was like, well, I'm gonna mix a little of that in with this simple gospel that matters so much. And you start to do all this stuff and the next thing you know, each and every one of us find ourselves in a place where we become slightly off, where we start steering to the left or we start steering to the right and we move away from what I would call the simple gospel. And I wanna look at that and here's why. Because it's easier than you think. I want you to hear this. It is easier, friends, than you think to lose your alignment to the gospel. 
It is. This isn't insidious. This isn't a horrible thing. It's not malicious. You're not a bad person. It's just easier than you think to add something or to attach something and lose your alignment to it. And that's what I want to explore today. I want to look at a weird situation in the book of Galatians. And it is weird. I know it's weird because I went to study this. I realized all throughout history, church fathers have gotten upset over the passage we're going to read today. Uh, historically, theologians and different stuff. And they all start to argue to try to justify what happened in this particular situation because they're uncomfortable with the fact that we're about to read a moment where two really prominent church leaders conflict with each other, right? We don't like to think of it this way, but that's what happens here. You have Paul, the apostle Paul, and you have, who wrote a large part of your New Testament. And you have the apostle Peter who wrote a part of your New Testament. These are two New Testament authors. And they're actually going to conflict with each other over something really important. And here's what it is. This is a moment where the apostle Peter comes to recognize that even he, even he, you guys, even he, the apostle Peter, the one who preached the very first sermon that 3,000 people said, I want to live my life after Christ. I want to follow him and embrace that very simple gospel for my life. 3,000 people started the church on that first Pentecost day right? The same apostle Peter, who was the great leader over all of these churches, the one that that Jesus Christ looked at and said, upon you, I'm going to name you Peter. I'm going to call you Peter because that word means rock because you're the rock I want to build my church on. That same Peter has to take a moment here in Galatians and recognize that even he needed to recalibrate his perspective, realign his actions, that even he had become veering off to the left or to the right instead of walking straight in the simple gospel. I want us to see that. That's a really big deal because here is the truth. If the apostle Peter can find himself needing to recalibrate his life and perspective back to the simple gospel because it gets misaligned, what does that mean for me? And what does that mean for you? I think there's just an opportunity here for all of us, not because you're good, not because you're bad, just because life happens and every now and then we need to recenter and we need to recalibrate. And so that's what we're going to look at. Galatians chapter 2 begins at verse 11. It says this. And as I read this, when I read the word Cephas, I want you to hear the word Peter. I know that sounds weird. I'll explain it in a moment. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 11 says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I, this is Paul writing, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, which is the leader of the Jerusalem church, he was eating with the Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you then force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So if you hear all of this and you're going, I hear you. I'm not quite sure what's happening. Let's unpack that so that we can all be on the same page for a little bit here. I want to talk through what we just read. First, let's just start with Peter. So you just heard the word Cephas, and I told you to, when you hear that, to hear the word Peter. Here's why. Cephas is the word for rock in Aramaic. In Jesus' era, in his time, people audibly spoke most often Aramaic. So when you hear Cephas, they're just using the same word for Peter, but just in Aramaic. The word that be written in Greek, right? The written word was in Greek, and that would have been Petros, which is where we get Peter from, which also means rock. So when you hear those two, it's just a question of whether we're quoting Aramaic or we're quoting Greek. And I know that's kind of confusing. When you go to read through your, uh, like a Greek New Testament, you'll see it. it. It happens frequently that's in there. So we're talking about Peter here. And the thing I want you to see is that Peter was absolutely instrumental 
in opening the doors of the church to people who weren't Jews, right? The Old Testament has this really long historic story about God doing something unique through this people called the Jews so that he could come to bless the whole world. And you watch this narrative unfold through the entire Old Testament. And then Jesus comes, lives, dies, rises again, leaves the Peter and the disciples to begin the church. And it's still pretty much a Jewish endeavor at this particular moment as you see it. And then Peter has two really significant moments that impact not just the church he was a part of, all church forever, you and I, and they're huge. I want you to see them. One, he has this vision from God, where he sees all of these things that were unclean according to Jewish law being lowered down on a sheet from the heavens. It's this vision he sees. And as he sees it, he hears this voice say, do not call common what God has made clean. And this becomes the moment where Peter realizes all of that law, all of that stuff that I was following, all of these things that I was abiding by, God is no longer looking at this through the lens of in or out, clean or dirty, but that he has made this thing clean so Don't keep living that way. Don't keep embracing your life this way. And the way that it gets applied is way beyond just animals and things lowered down on a sheet in a vision. Right after that moment, a man comes to Peter who is a Gentile guy who has questions about God. And Peter goes, the guy puts his faith in Jesus Christ, believes in the very simple gospel, and Peter baptizes an entire household of non-Jewish people into the church on that particular day for the very first time. And it was huge, you guys. That moment throws the doors wide open where it says, this isn't a special story for some people. This is for everybody. Peter was instrumental in this. And then there's a second moment. Tensions start to get built. And people start to get frustrated that Jewish people who've been following the law, who'd been practicing this ritual of circumcision as a sign of a covenant between them and God and following all these behaviors and all of this order are now watching non-Jewish people just believe in a very simple gospel. And they said, no, these people need to recognize they're saved by the grace of Jesus, but they need to live by the law. So they get in the doors because of Jesus, but that's not how they, but then once you're in, you've got to live by the law and you need to go back and you need to do these same things. This is important. And they have a big council about this because people are at each other's throats and they're frustrated. And Peter stands up in the middle of that council in a very pivotal moment. And he says something so honest that I wish religious people would say more often. And he says, let us not heap upon their backs the very thing that we have been carrying that never worked for us. Super honest moment where he goes, we've been trying to live this out forever and it hasn't worked for us. Why would we prescribe the same thing to them? Let's keep it to the simple gospel. Let's make it as easy and clear as possible for people. And this becomes huge as all of a sudden more and more non-Christian people, uh, more and more non-Jewish people become Christians and embrace that simple gospel as churches are planted and amazing things are happening all over the place. That's Peter. He's this instrumental, amazing person that like helped open the doors because God moved significantly in his life to all these non-Jewish people. Do you see it? I want you to see it. Because That's what you need to bring with you when you read this passage in Galatians that we just read. Because now when you come back and you're reading this moment in Galatians, you go, wait, what? Something shifted. Do you see it? It's like the alignment changed. Where he was once walking in this one straight way, like now all of a sudden he's veering off to the left or to the right. And so Paul looks at him, and let's summarize what we, what we read earlier. Paul looks and he says, look, when Peter came to the Gentile, not Jewish, but Gentile city of Antioch, right? When he came here, it was great. He comes in and everything seems really good. And then I realize something's off. And he says, so I opposed him to his face because something he was doing was wrong. 
And it was hurting people. That's why this was like a public thing. Because it was hurting people. It was impacting a bunch of people. And then Paul keeps explaining. When he got there, it was all good. And he was eating with people and we shared meals together. And you have to understand when it says that he ate at their table, it's not like we are like, hey, do you want to go to McDonald's after this? And maybe we can hang out, we can talk, go grab a movie. It's not what he's saying. When they talk about eating together, it was just, that's what churches did. You'd come together, you'd teach, you'd pray, you'd do these things, and then you'd share in a meal together and communion was actually a part of that meal. So when it says he sat at their table, this is, this is like fellowship of a religious uh, means. Like this is, this is the church coming together as friends and family and people all binding themselves together because of, of their shared faith in Jesus Christ. Like this is a powerful thing. And it says, Peter came in and he starts hanging out with everybody and he's, he's sharing meals and he's living life and he's doing all this stuff and it all seems great. And then he starts shrinking back. That word that's used in your Bible for moving away, for separating, isn't a hard sever. It's this idea of slowly kind of moving away until you're disconnected from this thing. You're separated from it. He starts shrinking back. Why? Well, it's because these other guys from the Jerusalem church, these Jewish people who thought that we should all still be living according to the law and doing these things came in and, and they had all these perspectives and opinions and Peter just sort of acquiesced to all of this stuff and separates himself from all these Gentile people. And he goes, and you know what happens? The rest of the Jews see this and they start to do the same thing. And he says, even Barnabas did this. You don't know who Barnabas is. Barnabas is a guy who actually had devoted much of his life, he was a church leader, to planting churches in areas where Jewish people did not live. So Barnabas had created a bunch of churches and led a bunch of non-Jewish people into the very simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and even he starts to separate himself out to favor the Jewish people and move away from the non-Jewish people that were in the room, this notoriously good guy. And Paul says, they're acting like hypocrites. He calls them out on it. You know, when you read the word hypocrite, it, it comes from a word in the Greek theater that essentially was when you wear a mask to disguise who you really are and what you really think. It's when you play act, right? So nobody can see this thing. It's mask wearing. Calls them hypocrites. Says that's how everybody's acting. If you're, if you're wondering what's going on here, here's what's happening. Paul's essentially looking at Peter and he's going, what happened to you? He is. He's looking, he's going, what happened to the guy who had the vision of the sheet, who then went and baptized the very first Gentile household and welcomed them into the church? What happened to that guy? What happened to the guy who stood up amidst all of the tensions and all the complexity around all of those leaders in the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15? What happened to that guy who finally stood up and said, no, let us not heap upon their backs what we ourselves could not carry. Let's keep it to the simple gospel. Where did that guy go who paved the way for these Gentile people to even be in the church in the first place? What happened to you, Peter? When did you lose alignment to the simple gospel? Come back center. And that's what this whole confrontation is about. See, Peter had slipped out of alignment somewhere over time. And the passage tells us why. If you're going, what did happen? Why? It's right there in the passage. It's subtle, but it says it. Galatians 2 verse 12. But when they came, these Jewish people from the Jerusalem church came, Peter drew back and separated himself. Here's why. Fearing the circumcision party. He was afraid. He was afraid. See, more often than not, when it comes to us, right, there's this beautiful thing 
that we embrace with our lives about this simple gospel, that life with God is available to all. And then we seek to live that out, put my faith and my trust, basing my life on Jesus, living out in relationship with him and seeing where he wants to take me and what this life is ultimately gonna look like. And then you jump into your life and all of a sudden you get a little afraid. And you go, what if I need more? These other people said something different. What if they're right? What if this happens and it starts to create this kind of insecurity in us at times? It starts to create this kind of fear. Fear is not a bad thing. You shouldn't condemn yourself for having fear. You're a human being. A fear response is really normal. If you have no fear, you're going to go do really daring things that get yourself killed all the time. I mean, once, right? You, you know what I mean? So fear is a really normal thing. What this is saying is don't let fear place both hands on the vehicle and start driving things. Because when you let that happen, what happens is you're no longer driving that narrow lane that is a simple gospel and all of a sudden fear wants to take another path to add to it, to put things on top of it and things start to get really complicated. And that's what I want to finish the rest of our time here together talking about. These paths that our fear can take us down that lead us out of alignment from the simple gospel and what can we do about that? But here's the thing, as we go to talk about this and continue forward, can I ask you, if you're sitting here right now And as you listen to all of this, you're going, this is just an interesting thing about two religious leaders in the first century. This is just an interesting thing about Peter and Paul. And wow, that's interesting to know that. And I'm glad I learned this about Galatians. I want you to take a step inward for just a second and be open to the fact that I think, just like Peter, each and every one of us probably have an opportunity in some way, shape, or form to recalibrate our own lives, our own hearts, our own perspectives, back to the simpleness of the gospel here. Because all of us, just by every day living in this life, will have a tendency to lose our alignment. And here's why. Let's look at these three things. One, we lose alignment with the gospel when we become overly concerned with managing our reputation. We lose alignment with the gospel when we become overly concerned with managing our reputation. This is like a curse in religion, you guys. (laughs) Right? When you Come overly concerned with managing reputation. Galatians chapter 2, verse 12 says, For before certain men came from James, that Jerusalem church, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, as in, I don't want those people to see me at that table, because if those people see me at that table, they're going to have a whole host of assumptions and thoughts about the kind of person and leader that I am. I don't want those people to see me interacting with these people because they're going to assume that I have all kinds of beliefs. They're going to assume that I don't take things seriously. They're going to assume all kinds of things about me. If those Jewish people, they were called Judaizers, by the way. This was a group of people that lived back in Jerusalem, which, by the way, was where Peter was like stationed to lead in the region of Israel with Jewish people. So they knew him. He would have known who these people were. And when those people see him, they believe, again, these are the same group of people who are like, no, you're saved by the gospel, but then you live by the law. You're saved by the gospel, but then what you've got to do is follow every letter of the Bible, every letter of the text, and that's how you live and know that you are righteous and good and right. These same people are looking at him, and if he eats with these non-Jewish Christians in this church in Antioch, these people are going to look at him and you know the kinds of things they're going to say about Peter? They're going to say, you know what? He doesn't care about tradition, about history, about obedience, about dedication. He's going to be seen as, you know, he's the guy who's soft on sin. He's the guy who thinks that you need to become like the world in order to minister to the world. 
He's the guy who gets to pick and choose, who thinks he can just pick and choose what parts of the Bible he wants to hold as true and what parts of the Bible he doesn't. He's the guy who's gonna be the leader who's all about the love of God and all about the grace of God, but is ignoring all that justice and all that stuff in the Old Testament. That's what he's gonna be. If they see him sitting with those people, his reputation is at stake. And when he goes back home and when they go back home, it's probably gonna cost him a little bit. And I feel for Peter. He probably was working through a lot. He's probably leading through a lot. And there's probably a lot of complexity amongst all those Jewish people in those Jerusalem churches. And so Peter manages his reputation and he separates himself from the people who could tarnish it when he goes back home. This is what happens. Friends, that's Peter. Here's us though. You know you are overly focused on managing your reputation when you place greater weight on how others see you than you do on how God sees you. That's how you know. If you're sitting in here and you're wondering, how do I know if I have a tendency to manage my reputation with other people? How do I know if that's the thing that like, sometimes for me makes me drift or makes me move out of alignment? It's this. You place greater weight on the voices and perspectives of other people than you do on who God says you are, on who you are in Christ. Some time ago, uh, there's a woman that asked me if she could meet with me. And I said, sure. You know, she said, I just have a question I really need to ask you. And I said, okay, I've never met with her before. And so she came to the offices and she started to talk. And the moment she sat down, she started to cry, started to sob. And I found out that she had been walking through a bunch of tensions with her husband for about the last three years. And he'd come up to her about a week before and said, I want a divorce. And I said, like, is this out of the blue? Is this something that, you know, what, what's going on here? Like, is, is this something brand new for you? And she goes, oh, no. So the last three years have been so hard. She said, we've gone to marriage counseling and we fought for it. We went to a couple's retreat, hoping that maybe that would give us a reset. She goes, at one point in time, we even were just saying, I want this and I don't know what to do. What if we just meet together to pray for each other once a week as just a way of kind of bringing us together on this? She's like, we've done so many things and, and it's just still really, really hard. And last week, he told me he wants a divorce and she goes, and I felt relieved. But I also am just brokenhearted and I don't know what to do because they'd been in this for a while. She's crying. And it was at that moment that I go, wait, like, it's really good to, to sit with you and just care and sorry for the complexity you're walking through, but I know you had a question. What was the question that you had for me? What was it that you wanted to ask me? She said, oh yeah, this is, this is it. She said, I want to meet with you because I wanted to ask you after I get divorced, is it okay if I still attend this church? The reaction that follows for me, it's not a good one, guys. I'm just gonna say this. I laughed. And I know that's not good. I've learned some things since then and hopefully I do a better job of this moment, particularly next time. I didn't laugh like, <laughs> like a weirdo. I went, huh. It was, it was like, you ever have that moment where you're shocked by something or where you're surprised, where you, you're almost going, is this, is this real? And I actually looked at her and I said, Can I, is this a sincere question? Is this... Like, this is re that's really the question you wanted to meet with me about? And then I realized she was absolutely sincere. And she said, yes, it is. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I was taken aback. And then I looked at her and I said, of course you can continue to attend this church. Of course, like, why, why would I kick you out? And then I even said, and in fact, I think you're gonna need people around you as you walk through some of this and I would never want to take that away at a time where you actually need people to love and care for you the most. Like, that just seems cruel. Like, I don't, why would we do that to you? And then I looked at her and I said, can I ask, because I knew she was connected in, with some people around here. I said, who's praying for you? She said, nobody. 
I said, okay, well, you've been going through this for like three years. Who knows about this with you? Like who at least you can share this with? She said, nobody. And I said, how is it that after three years and you've been tethered with people and in things and stuff that nobody knows about? Like, how, how's that possible? And then she told me, she said another couple had walked through a divorce and they were seen as now living in sin because they weren't fulfilling their marriage vows and there was all this shame heaped upon them and people kind of put some weight on that and they ended up not coming anymore. And she said, I don't want to go through that. I got so mad. I did. And I was like, when you see someone's hurt like that and you see the struggle and you recognize what they've been walking through, I just was so frustrated because I just thought, guys, we can do better. I, I did. Like the church is the place because of this very simple gospel where people get to show up and receive an abundance of grace and where love gets to get poured out and where we shoulder up with one another and we lift people up and we keep pointing to each other towards the hope of Jesus Christ. But what, what made me so frustrated was that I realized is that this woman believed that over the course of the last three years, she had no other recourse but to wear a mask every single day, week in, week out in this place because she didn't feel like she could, be, it was safe enough to actually be who she really was and where she really was. And my heart broke. And I was so mad. And then all of a sudden my madness, my frustration turned to sadness because I realized the only way that that would be possible is if there was a bunch of people around her wearing masks too. And that just means there's opportunity for each and every one of us to stop managing our reputation and to recalibrate our lives back to a very simple gospel where there is love and grace and goodness and truth for each and every one of us and where a real church gets to go arm in arm and hold one another up because Jesus is beautiful enough to handle it. He's big enough to carry it. Because that's what we're anchored in, isn't it? Friends, how many of you have ever felt, now you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever felt like if the real you came to church on a Sunday that you would cease to belong? The real you, if it came to church on a Sunday that you would cease to belong. If that is you, I just want to tell you, your reputation is secure in Christ. The gospel is here for you. The good news is yours. Center your life on it. How many of you are exhausted from all of the work it takes to wear a mask all the time for fear of losing reputation with people around you? Because it's tiring to put that on forever. It's frustrating and you feel diminished and you can grow numb along the way. How many of you know what that's like? Friends, if that's you, the gospel is for you. The good news of Jesus Christ is for you. Anchor your life in it and recognize that your reputation is secure in Jesus Christ despite what you might encounter from other people. How many of you are frustrated? Because there's a part of you that wants to be known and you want to be loved for who you are, but there's a part of you that recognizes that who you are doesn't feel like it's good enough. And you don't know where to put that in a context around other Christian people because it feels like you need to be a certain someone and play a certain part in order to be in, in order to be accepted. And you're frustrated and you're tired and you're exhausted. If that's you, the good news is absolutely for you. Life with relationship with God because of Jesus Christ is available to all. Anchor yourself in his love, in his grace, in his favor, in his freedom, in his acceptance. And may this place be a powerful expression of that. We can do this. It's the goodness of what lives in us, friends. Managing our reputation will lead us to value the opinions of others above the opinion of God. So if that's you, if you find yourself going, I think I have this tendency at times. 
I think I get caught up in managing reputation. I think that's what causes misalignment to the gospel with me. Well, then take a step towards recalibrating your life. And I think there's one that we can actually do here this morning. And it's just a moment to say something together. I wanna say a sentence out loud. And then just as a moment of solidarity for all those who need to say this out loud, as a church, will you then repeat after me? Here's the sentence, and then we can repeat it together. It's this, my reputation is secure in Jesus who loves me. Now let's all say it together, ready? My reputation is secure in Jesus who loves me. Say it as many times as it takes. Remind each other as many times as you need to, friends. It's a powerful thing. That brings me to the second one. And it's this, we lose alignment with the gospel when we fall into the trap of people-pleasing. We lose alignment with the gospel when we fall into the trap of people-pleasing. This one might sound really similar to this idea of managing reputation, right? Like it's similar. But for me, I see these really differently. Here's, here's what I mean by that. You know you have a tendency toward people-pleasing when you seek to keep others pleased with you at the cost of what you really think and know to be true. That's how you know this thing. So this is not like I'm sitting at a table and if they see me with these people, they're gonna make these judgments about me and so I need to manage my reputation. This is, I don't wanna upset the apple cart. This is, I don't know, like these people have strong opinions or thoughts or there's conflict or the stuff and so I'm just gonna diminish who I am and kind of hide from that for a moment. I want everybody to stay okay and pleased with me, around me, so I'm just not gonna be me. It's a different form of mask wearing that exists here. Galatians chapter two, verse 13, it says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Guys, it's easy to miss this in the passage. When it turns here, the reason it says, and the rest of the Jews, this is no longer the Jews that came from Jerusalem. So this is no longer a group of people known as the Judaizers who wanted to bring all this law back in. When it says, and the rest of the Jews acted accordingly, these were the people who went to that church. These were the people who day in, day out shared life with all of these non-Jewish Christians as well. They shared dinner tables. They were friends. They probably had community and looked after one another's things. They probably contributed to help one another out. They served and loved one another. They had ongoing relationship with each other because this was their actual community. And some of their Jewish brethren from another town and a prominent church leader named Peter roll into town and start to separate themselves. And these guys feel all the tension of that particular moment. And this will cost them their reputation with their Gentile friends later. Because when those guys go back to Jerusalem, who's still left in the church, right? This is gonna cost them reputation, you guys. And yet they start to just back away too. It's not upset the apple cart. Let's keep them pleased. Let's keep everything rolling. And it's hard. They simply suppress what they really know to keep the religious people from Jerusalem pleased. I got on a Southwest flight to Denver one time and I forgot to do the check-in moment until I like, got to the airport. I was the last person to check into a flight. There's no assigned seats, which means I get whatever seat is available last. And so I go to get on and this is a fully full flight. And I walk all the way to the back and the only seat left is packed against the window up in the back corner. And I think, sweet, I'm 6'5". I love being in small containers pushed against windows. Let's do this. And so I, I get on in the, climb into the window seat on the plane. And I, you know, people move. The lady sitting next to me is like, I don't know, late 50s or something like that. The guy sitting next to her clearly doesn't want to talk to anybody. And, and he's sitting there. And so I sit down and I, the plane hasn't even taken off yet. I get out a book to read. And I just want to get to Denver. That's all I want to do. I got on this flight. I just want to get to Denver. I open my book, I start reading. It's by a guy named Dallas Willard. He's a Christian author. The woman next to me sees me reading this book. She looks at me and she has this energy in her voice and she goes, wait, are you a Christian? There's something about the energy in her voice and the way she asked me where I was just like, oh man, please don't let this flight be weird. 
I'm being honest, right? I'm like, you know what I'm talking about. I'm like, oh, okay. And I look at her and I go, yeah, I am. And then her voice starts to quiver and her eyes start to flush a little red. And she looks at me and she says, by chance, do you happen to be a pastor? And now I know this flight's gonna be weird. And I say, yes, I am. And without skipping a beat, without a moment to even pause to think, she throws both arms around me, like wraps her arms around me, buries her face in my shoulder and just starts to weep. And I have no idea why. I don't know who she is. I just want to go to Denver, you guys. Like, I don't understand what's happening. And the plane hasn't even taken off yet. The flight attendant comes by and she's closing the overhead bins. And she looks at me kind of confused. And I make this look that's just like, please help me. Like, please do something like at her. And she just looks at me and raises her eyebrows and walks away. And I'm like, thanks. And I live this way. Now, I know you guys are going like, oh, that was probably an awkward 30 seconds or two hours is how long that flight went. And it lasted the entire time. Sometimes she was holding me and weeping. Sometimes she was sitting back and talking very, very loudly. I mean, very, very loudly. And what I come to learn is that she had been visiting her son and that her son uh, was, I think, in his 20s or something like that, and he had become addicted to cocaine at one point in time over his life, and that he'd since gone to a rehabilitation clinic, he'd gotten his life straight, he'd been sober for like between six months and a year, which is a huge deal, that's awesome. And, and she'd been out to visit him, and she got to meet his girlfriend for the first time. And she was throwing out words like Jezebel and harlot and all these other words. And I'm like, you don't like her very much. And that's what this is. It's a mother who does not like her grown son's new girlfriend, right? And she's weeping on me. And guys, I'm not being dramatic when I say that when she would lift her head, I would have a wet shoulder and there was snot on my shirt. Not my snot. I'm not crying. Someone else's snot. I don't even know where that snot's been. Like it's just all over me. And I'm sitting there being like, okay. And then she looks at me and she goes, and what I need you to do. And I said, oh man. So what I need you to do, I need a man of God to go to my son's house and I need him to, I need you to knock on his door and I need you to tell him that he is walking a path directly through the gates of hell being led by a Jezebel. I'm not gonna do that. Nothing in me is like mission accept. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. Guys, just so you know, I'm never gonna go to a person's house whom I have no relationship, context, or anything with ever and go, hey, you are walking a path to the gates of hell led by that Jezebel who's in, like, I'm not gonna do that. But I just wanna go to Denver and I want this moment to go away and I just want this whole thing to stop. And so I looked at her and I'm like, well, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. That's what I said. I'll have to think about it. And she goes, no, I want you to do it. And I said, well, I'll consider it. And she goes, write down his address. And I said, I'll think about it. And then she got out a sheet of paper and she's like, write this down. And we, I did, it was very intense. And I'm just like, I just want to get off this plane. I get off the plane and I go to baggage claim. And I notice that in baggage claim, everybody keeps staring at me. And I realized for the first time, because I was so just caught up in this moment with her, I realized for the first time that we were either the in-flight annoyance or in-flight entertainment for half of the plane. It was so loud and so intense the entire time. And you know, that was the very first moment that I had a different thought in retrospect about what had happened. And I found myself going, I wish I'd, with grace and dignity and compassion and kindness and all the things, I wish I'd been honest. 
I actually wish I would have talked with her a little bit about some of those things instead of just trying not to keep this moment going and trying not to upset this. And here's why. If you were to ask me, would that have changed her mind or her opinion? I don't think so. She seemed pretty hijacked at the moment. But who knows? You never know. But what I thought was, I wonder what that would have said to all of the people that were listening to this on that particular plane who are asking questions about Casas Church in Tucson. I'm sorry to y'all. Casas Church in Tucson and what this kind of place even is. I wonder what that might have done for her son. And I wonder what that might have done for her son's girlfriend. See, I don't know, but God gets to work in those things. I don't have to figure all of that stuff out all the time, but I wish I would have been honest about that instead of just trying to put my head by down, get by, get through, and get to Denver. Do you see what I'm saying? See, what we don't realize is that when you fall into the trap of people-pleasing, it's never just you. There's tends to be other people in those moments who get caught up in the crosshairs of that stuff. There's other people who become an audience, and this is what we end up seeing in the church in Jerusalem. For Peter, it was an entire group of Jewish people, Jewish Christians in Antioch who were part of that church, and even Barnabas, the church leader, who now start taking a step backwards. For me, it was the people on the plane who had no choice but to listen to this entire thing for two hours, or even her son or his girlfriend. See, maybe for you, you move out of alignment or you move away from the simplicity of the gospel because you simply go along with all the thoughts and opinions of the strongest voices around you because you just don't want to upset the apple cart. And so you constantly suppress and push down and hide the things you really think and feel and know to be true. But if that's you, trust what Christ has done in you. Trust the simplicity of what it is that you stand upon. Take a moment here to recalibrate your life to the gospel by reminding yourself of the following. And I'm going to say this out loud once again, and then I'd love us to repeat it all together. And it's this. I don't have to please people because I have God's favor. Let's all say it together. I don't have to please people because I have God's favor. We'll get it next time. All right? This is huge. That word for favor, it's simply the word grace. Right? Favor is the unmerited grace of God, or grace is the unmerited favor of God. That's what it is. You have this. There's grace upon grace upon grace for you. You don't have to please everybody else. You have it. Trust it. Base your life on it. Third thing. We lose alignment with the gospel and we begin to worry we are being fooled. Galatians 2.13 says, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. I find myself asking this question. If Barnabas is his prominent church leader who went around starting churches for non-Jewish people in non-Jewish areas, right? In areas of Rome, for the Greeks, all these stuff. If that's what he did, how did he fall into this same mess? If these are like his people and he started these things, how did he end up in this same place? Isn't that fascinating? No, I don't know exactly if I'm honest, but I have a hypothesis for why this happened. And it says, I think that the church in Jerusalem and the Jews that were there had really strong and really certain voices. And I think that makes things hard. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, let me explain. When you start in your own life to base your life on the simplicity of the gospel, and when you try to live that and you try to describe that to other people, at times it just feels, well, really simple. Base your life on Jesus Christ, that he died for you, that he rose again for you, that you're forgiven and he loves you and there's grace for you and that he's with you and base your life, your everyday life, your decisions and who you are and just the way you move forward in this life on that reality and just trust it. See where it takes you, go. What's gonna happen as you go to live that, you're gonna step into wildly uncertain moments. 
You're gonna have moments where you go, yeah, but do I go through door number one or door number two? Is it option A or is it option B? Or there's these people and I don't wanna screw my life up or their life up and I don't know quite what to do in this situation and I can't find a verse that exactly answers this one thing and I'm not quite sure what to do about it. And there's all of this uncertainty that life just inevitably brings upon us. You cannot avoid it. It's just a part of being a human being who lives. And then in those moments, here's what's gonna happen. If it hasn't happened already, it will. If it's happened once, it'll happen again. Someone's gonna come along with a really strong voice and a really certain perspective who seems like they have a lot of security and a lot of just forthrightness. And they're gonna look at you and they're gonna say, what you need to be doing is dot, dot, dot. What you need to be doing, if you wanna know that you're right with God and that you're doing the right thing in your life is you need to stop doing this and you need to start doing that. You need to let go of this and you need to grab a hold of that. You need to base your life and follow these things and do this stuff. And if you do these things and if you follow that and if you live your life this way, then, then you're gonna be okay. It's gonna be a religious person who does this at some point in time. And all of that certainty and all of that fervor and all of that tenacity is gonna leave you in a space where you look and you go, I mean, they seem really secure. And that seems really potent. And they seem like they're really going for it. And while you're standing there in the midst of trying to live by faith and navigate the uncertainty of the moment while holding the certainty of Jesus, you're gonna find yourself in a place where that strong voice becomes really powerful and really attractive. And you'll ask yourself, wait, I, I know I've been living by the simple gospel. Am I being fooled? Does God want more from me? Am I doing this wrong? Have I been duped? Did somebody tell me something over time that's like messed me up? Like, am I? Because I don't feel certain and secure as that person does and they seem like they've got a path carved out. It happens. It happens all the time, actually, friends. I have this conversation all the time. Let me tell you what Paul says immediately following this incident. We'll close with it. Galatians chapter two, verse 16, he says, yet we know, this is Paul speaking, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. If you've tuned out, tune in as we close the service here today. This is the whole point. This is the big idea. If you get what Paul is saying here, I promise this will be a huge deal as you seek to live a life of faith. What he is saying here is that regardless of what anybody else tells you, regardless of who sits at your table or not, regardless of who demands that your behavior look a certain way for them to feel comfortable around you or not, regardless of whether someone has an expectation that you be the right kind of Christian, the right kind of religious person, even when someone around you seems like they have it all figured out and want you to go with them, regardless of all of those things, and you're still sitting confused, if you put your trust in Jesus to save you, to be with you, to lead you, to love you, you are in the best place that you could possibly be. If you wanna recalibrate your life to the truth of the simple gospel, then before you listen to anyone else, including me, the irony's not lost on me here, friends. Center your life on Jesus. Trust that he is in you, he is with you, and that he is for you. And as a step in closing, towards recalibrating that all together, one more thing to repeat, I'll say it first, and we can all say it together, it's this. My life is secure in Jesus Christ. Ready? My life is secure in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and we thank you. 
Thank you for this group of people. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that the gospel is simple. It's hard at times, and it feels uncertain, but I thank you that it's simple. Give us the courage and the audacity to place our trust in you. Give us the encouragement of one another to, to just cheer one another on, Lord. Unite us together as a church that bonds together over what it is that we are united in the simple gospel, Lord, the truth of your son, and pull us forward together that we might do great things to love this world in the very same way. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, before you go, if you're new here, it's awesome to have you. Uh, I'm gonna be right down here over in this area where those two lovely human beings are standing over there. I'd love to shake your hand and meet you and just say thanks for coming. To all of you guys, have a great Memorial Day weekend and we'll see you soon.